Welcome to this special breaking news edition of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. On today's special episode, Brittany and I will take you through some shocking revelations recently made public by one of Kathy Durst's friends, who also happens to be the ex-husband of First Lady Jill Biden. That's coming up after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week, First Lady Jill Biden's first husband, Bill Stevenson, threw his hat into the ring of the tabloid media circus surrounding Robert Durst and the 1982 disappearance of his wife, Kathy. On the evening of Thursday, July 8th, News 12, a regional news network based in New York, reported that Stevenson had an affair with Kathy Durst shortly before her disappearance. This is not the first time Stevenson has stepped into the media spotlight. In April of 2020, seven months before the presidential election, Stevenson told the New York Post that the Democratic nominee lied about how he met his wife. Stevenson claimed that the two had had an affair in the 70s while Jill was still married to Stevenson. Stevenson, who at the time suggested that he would reveal the details in a tell-all book, has never followed up with any substantiation of those claims. Now, almost 40 years after Kathy's disappearance, and over a year into the trial of Robert Durst, Stevenson is coming forward once again, inserting himself into the drama. In an interview with News 12's Tara Rosenblum, Stevenson said, I feel like I'm the missing link in the case. Stevenson, the owner of a music venue in Delaware, also says that he was childhood friends with Kathy Durst. In the 1960s, he stated, their families spent summers together in the Poconos. As we went through our lives together, I watched her grow up to be a beautiful young woman, Stevenson said. Stevenson says that in the summer of 1974, he and his then-wife, Jill, hosted Robert and Kathy Durst in their Delaware home over a three-day weekend. He claims that Kathy and Jill had a, quote, instant connection, end quote. But he noted, even back then, Robert Durst's eccentricities. I remember him talking to himself in my garage. To me, it was like, oh my God, Stevenson remembered. A few years later, Stevenson claimed that he received a call from Kathy in which she was, quote, extremely upset, end quote. According to Stevenson, Kathy said that she was, quote, scared to death, end quote, of her husband's violence. Stevenson said, quote, I think at that point she really couldn't trust anybody around her who knew Robert, I guess. I don't know why she picked me, but I'm glad she did, end quote. Stevenson says he visited Kathy Durst in New York City upwards of five times between December 1981 and January 1982. On one of those visits, Stevenson and his friend George Kearns stayed at the Durst's apartment overnight. While Robert Durst was out, Stevenson alleges that Kathy was in a, quote, silk nighty, end quote. He also alleges, quote, nothing was said and she grabbed my hand, led me back to the bedroom. We closed the door, 
and life changed for both of us. Totally unexpected, beautiful night, and no regrets, end quote. The next morning, Stevenson claims that Durst returned home and began pounding on the door. He says that Kathy left the bedroom and returned, announcing, quote, it's Bob, end quote. Stevenson says he, quote, ran out, end quote, but before he left, he witnessed Robert Durst smack Kathy across the face with a, quote, wad of cash, end quote, that was rolled up in his hand. He alleges that Durst said, quote, Kathleen, this isn't going to happen, end quote, and Kathy yelled back, quote, I'm moving to Delaware, I'm moving to Delaware, I'm done, end quote. During this incident, Stevenson says that he was sitting in shock. Quote, people have to understand that this guy is a monster. I saw it in his eyes, end quote. Meanwhile, Kearns claims he heard the incident while standing, quote, behind Bill, behind the door, end quote. Stevenson alleges that he reported the incident at the 19th precinct within 24 hours, presumably of learning of Kathy's disappearance. The NYPD has not been able to corroborate this claim as they do not keep visitor records from the 1980s. When asked if he thought that his alleged encounter with Kathy had anything to do with her disappearance, Stevenson said, quote, absolutely, I think it would have driven him crazy, end quote. He added that, quote, I feel if something was wonderful at the end of her life, I hope this was it. I just hope she had the same thoughts at the end there. End quote. In following up on this story, we have learned that Stevenson was convicted of tax fraud for his actions during the exact period of time he says he had his affair with Kathy Durst. Stevenson was arraigned on those charges on April 21, 1982, less than three months after Kathy's disappearance. To discuss these developments, Brittany and I are joined by reporter Charlie Bagley. Charlie, what have you been able to find out about this story? Well, number one, Mr. Stevenson does have a relationship with the McCormick family. Uh, like the McCormicks, the Stevenson family had a summer cabin in the Poconos, about 100 miles northwest of Manhattan. But when it comes to his story or his latest story, uh, there are just a bunch of elements that don't fit into the Bob Durst puzzle palace. Number one, Bob never called Kathy Kathleen. Number two, nobody ever saw Bob get up at 7.30 in the morning. And then number three, he said that Kathy was yelling at Bob that she was going to move to Delaware. Well, that's, that's a real head scratcher because at that time, Kathy was in the middle of a clinical rotation and she was applying for residency programs. So she was very busy and probably the last thing on her mind was Delaware. Nobody moves to Delaware. Finally, he says he learned of Kathy's disappearance. She disappeared on January 31st. Mr. Stevenson said he read about it and immediately went to the police station. Now, the first article appeared on February 8th, so more than a week after Kathy disappeared. And all those articles were filled with stories about a detective, Michael Strzok, who was investigating the case, and he was at the 20th Precinct 
on the Upper West Side. But our Mr. Stevenson went to the police precinct, the, the, the one nine, as they call it, on the Upper East Side. Apparently, the cops never paid him any attention. Okay, he's, he's upset about that. But there was a new investigation in 2000 that hit the newspapers, not only in New York, but nationally. And why didn't he step forward now? Now, th these are the kind of questions we would be asking any of the witnesses that have testified in this case. But we're unable to get those answers from Mr. Stevenson right now. Have you been able to glean whether the McCormicks knew about this at the time? I don't think that all the McCormicks stayed in touch with him. Uh, I think that Jim McCormick certainly did, but I don't think he mentioned this story to the McCormicks until fairly recently. Brittany, what struck you about that interview as presented on News 12? Oh, my goodness. Um, one question I had was, who brings a friend and says, excuse me, I'm going to spend the night in here. I guess we'll see in the morning. You know, it, it felt like a little convenient to have somebody else who could kind of corroborate some of those details, but from the safety of the other side of the door. Also, like, I'm kind of confused about the geography of how all of this is happening. He goes to leave, and yet he's close enough to see her get hit in the face with a wad of cash seems like the sort of thing you'd have to be in pretty close proximity to get a good view of. Really just a lot of questions um, and sounds pretty gross to say that you've watched somebody grow into a beautiful young woman and then have an affair with them. Charlie, there was something at the very end of the story in the New York Post that, that struck you, isn't there? There, there is. It seems that Mr. Stevenson wanted a round of congratulations for servicing Kathy during his one-night stand. He said, I feel if something was wonderful at the end of her life, I hope this was it. Well, congratulations, Mr. Stevenson, but uh, that just doesn't measure up. Yeah, one last little bit of trivia. When was the last time you heard Robert Durst carrying a wad of cash, Charlie? That's just one other element of the story that doesn't fit. Bob carried credit cards. He, he wrote checks. He was not big on cash, and he certainly wasn't bringing a wad of cash to somebody's door. Well, Charlie, thanks for joining us for this very special bizarre moment in what has otherwise been a completely bizarre spectacle. We'll look forward to catching up later in the week on our regularly scheduled episode. Thanks, Carrie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please. 
please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of season two of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from season one and head over to crimestory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst is created and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Brittany Bookbinder is my co-host. This episode was co-produced by Alexis Bartolo and Brittany Bookbinder. It was written and edited by Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.